0: Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of a veteran fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my life and career on online fraud prevention for over 15 years, working with hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent payment fraud and abuse. So one of the reasons why I started this podcast was because I wanted to be able to introduce the fraud fighting industry as well as all listeners to people who I really enjoy learning from and inspired by and who I know you can too, and you may not know, have known who they were otherwise. So on that note, I'm really excited to introduce Alexander Hall. He is the founder and principal of Dispute Defense. Good afternoon, Alexander. How are you?
1: Hi, Carice. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me here.
0: No, I'm so excited to have you. Ever since our first conversation, I've definitely wanted you to come on the podcast.
1: Super exciting. I love what you're doing. It's a great platform. Just super awesome. Super excited to be here.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. So I'm just going to dive right into questions because I really want people to learn from your story as well as your experience. How did you get started in fraud?
1: It started with drug use, but that was my gateway into fraud. Drug use when I was young and uh, needing to support a habit without a college background or without a college education, without having uh, a very good job, supporting a habit getting into a relationship with with my now wife, who had three kids at the time, or still does, but has three kids, you know, we needed to get food, we needed to get stuff, we needed to support habits and, and all of that. So yeah, that was really the introduction to it. As you run around selling drugs and stuff, you, you end up seeing the kind of licks that are going on, the hustles that are going on in the underworld. And the more groups you know, the more you learn about stuff, and the more you the more you get exposed to it and eventually you just start taking part.
0: So most people, when I ask them that question are like, Oh, I was in customer service and I, you know, got asked to be in fraud prevention. (laughs) So let's be super clear. You are actually on the prevention side now and have been for several years. But as you said, you were on the fraud side and something that I found really interesting, not just because I, you know, I have several current and former fraudsters, for lack of better term that contact me, especially after, you know, working with Brett Johnson and helping him have a bigger exposure to this side of the world. And I think they kind of see me as a kingmaker and I'm glad, you know, you did never reach out to me for that reason, but I, I do think you are different because you've already fought fraud as well for you know, a few companies and, and all that. So I really would love to dive into a little more on what kinds of frauds you can talk about that you committed and also kind of how you made that switch to the other side of the fence. Sure.
1: So the... the... <sighs> So the brief outline that I, that I give when I talk about the different kinds of fraud that are out there, I, I always give the two examples, the hot dog stand and the corporate juggernaut. Now I've posted about this several times, but the, the, the quick and the slim and easy descriptor of it is when a hot dog stand accepts cash in person, the only thing they need to do is know how to identify fake cash, they're good. The corporate juggernaut needs to know, they, 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 they take place in these these various transfers of value And that's going to be check cashing. It's going to be credit lines. It's going to be uh, return policies. It's going to be marketing. It's going to be all these different things that they participate in where they're giving something of value in exchange for something with a list of requirements associated to it. So that being said, going up the list, there's several things that were regular occurrences in the world of fraud when you go from drugs and boosters all the way up to more sophisticated tactics. So the one would be Someone steals a product, goes into a corporate juggernaut place with a fake receipt, returns it. Easy peasy. Get, get an exchange, get, return it for a gift card, go sell the gift card. Pretty easy. Three-step process. After that, one thing that, I, that, that, that was interesting is how to use just a printer in order to have a house. Well, anyone can print a lease agreement. And if you make it look like you're the victim, you're never considered to be the one doing the crime. I don't know how much more detail I should go in about that. They, they, they gave a, there's a whole task force out here regarding that lick and specifically, but the, the way that it would work is you make a lease agreement for yourself coming from someone else that you have a, an ID from, right? So it's a fake, it's a real stolen ID, but that person leases a otherwise vacant property to you for X amount of money. The only money that exchanges hands is when you pay the fraudster X amount of dollars in order to live there. And when the cops come and investigate, you present lease agreement. And then sometimes people were getting uh, cash for key settlements in order to move out so that they were reimbursed on what the receipt showed as a down payment or as the first and last month's rent, all of this stuff, they played the victim and won. That's one example. Another example that I give is uh, math as a payment method. There are very, very many places that um, have such weak security and, and fraud prevention measures in place that you can literally just sit down and employ an algorithm, a specific algorithm, and attempt payment. And it's just easier than anything. So those are a few examples. And so the way that I got into fraud prevention was in 2017, my, my wife and I gave birth to our first, to our daughter. So her fourth kid, my first And it was laid out before me that if I wanted to be a father, it was time to change our ways. I needed to turn myself in. I needed to turn myself in on warrants. I needed to clean up tickets. I needed to get my life straight. I needed to cut everyone out of my life. Blah, 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 blah. Currently I am three and a half years into a four year probation sentence. So there's that. In 2018, I started working for a vape distribution company who had three divisions. With their subsidiaries, we're pulling uh, $400 in annual revenue. And when I was hired there, I was the sole fraud specialist. So what I did was I came in. I introduced the concept of transaction analysis. I introduced data management. I introduced policy adjustments. I introduced the processing of these different things. I introduced the verification document system. And then I also took over chargebacks. When I was introduced there, they had a six-month rolling average of one month, six month rolling average of $28,000 a month. So $28,000 a month in chargebacks going out. And that was primarily due to fraud. So when I came in, I was doing the transaction analysis. About six months in, I had reduced the amount of fraud coming in by something like $50,000, but then additionally reduced the six month rolling average for chargebacks down to eight with plenty of suggestions that were available on the operational side of things. So that was great. The That's, ROI for yeah, my Yeah, congratulations. That <laughs> was pretty big.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we all can say that. <laughs> uh,
1: and then the last fun bit about that was I went on to take over customer service, RTSs and returns, and I identified what you've been speaking about so much uh, recently, <laughs> the uh, return fraud. I isolated or identified one customer over the course of one year, having $300,000 worth of unjustified credit being uh, returned to him. Uh, return to them, I should say, because of pallets of returns. So
0: that's a <laughs> for one person. I'd well, imagine he was re- or they were reselling it, but still. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was the wholesale division. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so that was that was one customer with three hundred thousand, and the other ones equaled, equaled just about that much, spread out amongst you know ten or twenty other customers. Wow. So it was heavily exploited. So now I put in policies, I put in procedures, uh, I put in checkpoints, and now now they're good. Yeah, now it doesn't happen.
0: Something I found really fascinating about learning from you is really that you have taken the kind of the basics or m- way more than basics of fraud, committing fraud, right? Like looking for the exploits and the ways to, you know, manipulating systems and piggybacking off of them and figuring it out and really exploiting those and really reverse engineering that to benefit companies quite a lot. And I think that that's really unique. Uh, not many, I, I don't know any other previous fraudsters that have worked full time on fraud prevention as an employee. And I think that that speaks to the fact that, you know, you, you, your mind works on both sides.
1: Thank you. That I, I will definitely take that. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you're yes. so welcome. I'm being very genuine. Like I think it's, you know, I, I've been really impressed with your hustle and your drive in this side as well in providing education. Even if you don't know how people are reading it, like you're still pumping out really good content on LinkedIn and trying to, you've been an open book as far as, you know, how specific systems are. I know, I don't know if you'd mind, one story that you told me when we first talked was about how hotels and casinos and on the Strip of Las Vegas are often exploited. You know, we're certainly not saying that you've done that at all, but you know, <laughs> it, just just saying like, how, how would it be done? How, you know, I think that's a really, I think it really shows under how intricately you understand that fraud underworld in a way that I never could.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And, there's, and yeah, there's a lot of effectively when you're, when you are a, a fraudster with a master's degree, <laughs> you can be asked for something and then you just run down a laundry list of of opportunities and things that your experience has, you know, the, so whenever someone would come to me and say, Hey, I need a, this, I need a, that, whatever it may be. I knew where I could go for those things. Mm. I knew what companies served them. I knew what, what was required. I knew which ones had low level security and high level security. And on the opposite side of that, I would have all of the equipment that I needed. I had all the information I needed. I had all these elaborate profiles that were built up. And when people are introduced to the concept of profiles, what people tend to do is they say, build it up until you can use it. And that's where it ends. Well, Mm -hmm. no, when you are good at profiles, you build up profiles, there's, there's, there's getting credit cards in people's names, so you control the billing and the shipping, there's getting the credit report so that you know where they were spending money, you know what car they were driving in 2016, you know what was going on in their life, that is an example of a profile. I know who this person is inside and out, I know who they are up and down, I know from birth to the grave, I know exactly who this person is, that is a profile by, by an effective fraudster. So you can imagine using that information, and anything less than it, you can get anything for anyone at any time, and you just name the price
0: Wow, so do you mind walking through like how how hotels specifically like how you know cards can be charged prior to check in, or is that something you don't if that's if that's something you don't want to share it's okay i just I think it'd be really interesting to listeners i'm
1: I believe everything's okay and and I want to give good content too so
0: I want to make sure you know we're yeah i i just i think that. You know, I know there are a lot of travel companies that listen. And so I thought that might be interesting. And, you know, you're just simply talking about is happening, what can happen regardless of how you have that knowledge.
1: So, okay. <laughs> it's, there's, there's a one word answer to your question. It's called
0: math. Let, let's expand on that. So you did okay. this whole series on LinkedIn about how fraud is just math. And I would love to understand what you mean by that, though. Okay. And and maybe this is a good example of that.
1: So most people would assume that a credit card number, uh, if it ends in 0001, uh, the next one would be 0002. Mm -hmm. That's not not true, though. Correct. It goes in sequence in abidance to, or in accordance with a uh, loon's algorithm, also yes. called the mod 10, the modulus 10, all of these things. Oh
0: yes. So you know what's sad? I just have to like really quickly interrupt that I know that from my six month training course at bank of America f- 16 years ago, 17 years ago now, when I was working there, you know, that from a different, you know, history, <laughs> but yeah, the mod yes. 10 is what I was I was trying, I knew it was mod 10, but I was trying to think of his name, Loon. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. So that's exactly all it is. So there's two concepts. You're not even buying
0: fulls or card numbers. You're just coming up with full random. Wow. That's. And, and even,
1: even further back than that, if someone comes to me with, or comes to a person with a stolen card, one that has already been reported as stolen, one where the information is burnt, that information is still useful. Mm -hmm. and it can still be used at hotels, car rental places, travel agencies, gas stations. It can still be used at a lot of restaurants. Someone can come to you or you can have like these, I don't know if you've ever seen it. They're like laundry. They're like, oh my God, 300 page or 300 line item pages of stolen credit card information that's already been ran through by 80,000 people. So you're never going to find anything good. All it takes for you to get a good number out of that information is go down. Check the bin number. I'm sure you're aware what the bin number is. Yes,
0: the first six yep. digits of the card slash yep. bank identification, just in case anyone listening didn't know that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So you go down this list of stolen cards, you find which one has a, has a high level, like an American Express, black slate, concrete, special card.
0: Something with a high emit, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Find that bin number, take those 12, use the algorithm, bam, you're gonna know a high limit card with low verifications. Run it all day.
0: And so why would you say that those cards, even if they're done, can be used at hotels, car rentals, et cetera? Is that because of the pre-authorization process?
1: Yes. And they're not
0: actually running it for money.
1: Yes, that's part of it. The other part is so specifically in hotels, what they do is they'll they'll pre-authorize you for X amount, but then they require like a cash deposit for incidentals or a cash for like securities and stuff like that. And and, and, and it right. changes, but that's that's the worst case scenario, which is still super easy. So when they require these things and you put a card on file that that took the initial reservation amount, then they just leave it alone until the end of your reservation. Well, what fraudsters are doing is they'll book for five days, blow out the the customer service, blow out the downstairs shopping, blow out everything, get a car rental, call, call, get the guys to run out and get them a laptop, come back, check out in two days. And when the time comes to actually run the card, now they realize I got a $15,000 bill or a $50,000 bill and I can't do anything with it. They're there under false pretenses because they presented a, a fake ID with, with the tiniest sprinkle of social manipulation or social engineering. And now they've been up in your room. They took all that liquor. They, they made the room service. They got all the, the fun stuff downstairs, charged it to the room. You finally decide to charge it and now you're out.
0: Oh my gosh. That sounds so simple honestly, like it's hard for me to, that That was what was crazy to me. But the thing is, and I think this is exactly why fraudsters are so successful these days and why there are so many ways to exploit any kind of company, whether it's card, not present or in person, et cetera, is that balance between wanting to have good customer service and not wanting to have friction, right? Like they, of course the hotel wants people to run up a, you know a room service bill and and all of that and they expect that that's money for them rather than seeing it as a risk.
1: I don't know the person that I used to be know that you're going to do that we know that if we if we run amok or if we complain a little bit we'll get a hundred dollars gaming credit you know we'll we'll get a free day off of our rental that we're already stealing well the balance between security and customer service is the eternal battle but you got to know where your, where your loyalties lie and then come back from that as a business owner, I should say.
0: That's really good advice. How, actually that, that leads me to my next question of how do you define the term fraud? Cause I learned a lot from you in that way too. I have to say like as an old school fraud fighter who feels ancient a lot of times these days, which is so bizarre, but it's just because it's an emerging, emerging industry that changes all the time. Sure. I think I'm trying to think of fraud a lot of times in just payment fraud or what results in a chargeback. And that's why I've been preaching so much about refund fraud is because so many fraud departments are, are just so mono focused on preventing chargebacks and reducing chargebacks so that they aren't noticing that, you know, the fraudsters have found a whole different way to exploit and manipulate their company. And it's the exact same result. They're out the product, they're out the money. So I really was intrigued by your definition, so I'm now I'm the one doing the build-up here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So my itinerary, I suppose, with with dispute defense, my goals are a to redefine the way that the world views fraud. Everyone believes that it begins and ends with a stolen credit card number. It's some guy sitting in a room trying to download bins, or not download, but purchase bins on the dark on the dark web. All these types of things. It's this really, really classic and and you know cloak and dagger type situation with with fraudsters all revolving around credit cards what needs to be understood is that fraudsters are smart enough to exploit anyone anything in any way and what that i identify that as a transfer of value that needs to be monitored transfer of value uh, again with my example between the hot dog stand and the corporate juggernaut all of those transfers of value come into place and all of them are being exploited by fraudsters one way or another. And what you've effectively done is set up a laundry list or a checklist of requirements that we need to jump through in order to make the transaction happen. So there's three concepts that I just listed here that I wanted to point out. One would be important for fraudster uh, for fraudsters to understand is their mindset of, of the transfer of value. Cause that can be living in a house. Like I said, that can be driving a stolen car that was actually just, given to you because you've met the requirements from a a car rental place. It can be staying in a hotel, it can be getting food, it can be any of those things are how fraudsters look at transfers of value. The next one to think about is the decision makers, the fraud fighters, and the business owners. You guys need to understand that if you accept a receipt and send out credit or send out a gift card, send out an exchange product, you're participating in a transfer of value. One other example would be your marketing, your buy one, get ones, your buy one, get one 50% off. If you're not meeting the ROI in your marketing department, it's probably because you're being exploited by someone making 50 accounts, taking advantage of your buy one, get one. So there's that example. The third example comes from property owners, in, in my experience, people that are unknowingly participating in a transfer of value, which is, hey, people are living in my house presenting these documents. I don't even know about it. And then it turns out to be fraudulent down the line. So you don't even understand, or or you're not even, you might not even be present to know that these transfers are happening, but they are happening and it's because of fraud. So these it's my job to open everyone's eyes to the many transfers of value that take place in whatever company and then how to build effective and scalable defenses um, against the many forms of fraud.
0: And I think it's interesting because what you're saying essentially is that as a fraudster, or, you know, fraudsters would come to you or just to have conversations about this is what I want. They wouldn't say this is how I'm going to exploit. I'm I'm going to do carding. I'm going to do ATO. I'm going to, it wasn't about the method. It wasn't about the how, it was about the what, right? No, and I'm then once so. once you have the the what, like the, you know, whatever it is that they want, the laptop, the hotel, the car, whatever it is, then you just figure out, okay, we'll go to this site and figure out what, things they've put in place to try to protect themselves and completely break them or work around them. Is that a good enough assessment of what a fraudster will do in their thought process?
1: That is 100% accurate. And the way it works is if it's something I can simply snap my fingers and take care of and order you $300 worth of food for your house. If I can just do that, I'll probably do that for free. In one of my posts, I covered how I used to do that for drug addicts and their kids to make sure that their families Mm -hmm. were fed. I'm not trying to put, pick up the Bible, but that's just how it was. You know, right. I'll order you food because it only costs me time and math, and I got all the time in the world. So there was that. Now if you go up to higher end things where maybe it requires the accurate billing and shipping address to match because and then the IP address so you got to get on the VPN, you need to have a full profile built so that you can apply for the credit card in order to change where their billing and, and shipping addresses are in accordance with the creditors and all this stuff. And then communicating with the issuer to send out a replacement or a secondary alternative contact card, all of this stuff. Yeah. Trust and believe I'm going to need like 60, 70%, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever it is we're doing, but we're doing big things.
0: Right. right. So it's the um, grief to gross ratio. It's something that my yes. business manager uh, talks about or not business manager, my business um, mentor used To be about a lot with, you know, I used to have a high grief to gross ratio where I really want to help everybody and do all the work. And then, the project price wasn't that high to really cover the grief or cover the work. So, I mean, it's a totally different scenario, but as a fraudster, it's like, well, how much effort is going to take me (laughs) (laughs) that'll cost you? I mean, capitalism at its finest, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yep. You're right. You're right. And then there's actually another dynamic that I forgot to mention about this, which is someone somewhere uh, goes and gets a bunch of information, doesn't know how to use it. So then you go over there and you just oversee, okay, well, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. And then you can do this, this, this with it, bye. And you walk out. So
0: It's like training a fraudster basically on what to do. (laughs) So I often say that the best fraud fighters think like a fraudster because of your background. (laughs) How (laughs) has, how has that helped you prevent fraud? Like how has that, I mean, I know it has, but how do you approach fighting fraud because of your background?
1: Well, it's pretty simple. All it takes from, well, all, what I have done, my process has been to get in contact with business owners, either A, tell them how I know fraud is getting into their system, or B, doing a, a front-end analysis to their checkout as I'm buying something f- from them anyway. So I might be getting a, a new hard drive for my computer and I'll go through the checkout process and I say, hey, look at that. I, I know that you got some problems there. So then that, at that point, I reach out and I say, hey, your checkout process is flawed. I, I reach out and I say, hey, you got some susceptibilities. So the way it's worked in the past is I go through the checkout process. I call that a front-end analysis. And then I additionally inquire as to what their transfers of value are, if they participate in all these different transfers of value. If they do, I ask them about what their policies are. And, and then I also secondarily give them advice on how to how to reinforce their checkout process in order to be effective past that for bigger ones it requires some some back some backyard digging it requires going into the backside and 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 really and really looking at at different operations but yeah it all revolves around around processes policies checkout requirements transfers of value as long as you got that down you you can handle anyone
0: well and i would imagine that you know, the way your brain worked for a long time in finding exploits that you do the same thing for your clients that you're looking at. Okay. I know a lot about a lot and I know exactly how a fraudster is going to hit you. So I'm going to come in and do that for you so that it doesn't cost you as much because fraudsters don't ask for budget. You know, fraudsters don't have to go through the ROI, you know, calculate an ROI or go through the approval process with procurements. And so, I mean, I would certainly imagine that hiring a consultant with your kind of expertise is a lot cheaper <laughs> than learning it the hard way. And I can certainly say that, you know, in in our conversations offline that I've been very impressed with your knowledge. I think there's a lot of people who you know there's so many different levels of fraud, actually, right before we recorded this, you shared that you had kind of thought of this um, analogy of the school of fraud i'd love for you to go through that because I think that's a really good example of somebody saying they're a fraudster doesn't mean that they know how to hack into something or that they know how to manipulate multiple systems. sometimes it's just, oh, I learned how to you know put a card skimmer on a." gas station or I used a stolen credit card once. Like that's not, you know, there's such a, a wide range of skills.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, I can, cons- so uh, as a preface, let me just say I consider myself to be, to have a master's degree in fraud because of all my time and all the, all the work put in. So the way that I outline how I got to that point is by outlining what each level is. So elementary school, Covers, you know, like a, a gangbanger, or a thug, or someone who's in the mix, going out there stealing purses, boosters, stealing purses, stealing wallets, stealing whatever. You steal a card, you go to the nearest Walmart and you swipe it. Okay, you're that's that's elementary school. That's nothing, right? middle school is where someone learns either through networking or through the internet that you can go to the dark web. You can just look at these instructions. They don't know anything about anything. They don't know why these methods are important. They don't know what they're actually doing. They just read instructions and they say, okay, track information. Cool. How to run an embosser, how to do the, the, the card reader, the tipper and all those things. Great. So now they're just, all they do is they're just they just follow instructions. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know why it matters, but they're following instructions. That's middle school. High school is a little bit more sophisticated. It, it has to do with social engineering. It has to do with cybersecurity, cyber threats. Back when I first started with SQL injection was the big thing where you inject into databases and pull information. And that's good for ATOs. That's good for CVV downloads. That's good for just... Getting access to all the information, the problem with that, and why it ranks lower in my opinion than the than the other ones that I'll mention, is because there's a footprint of you being there. That's why high school is at high school and not not better, even though it's more technically savvy. It's not higher ranking on the list because there's a footprint of you being there. There's evidence of you being there. So that's high school, social social engineering, and and cybersecurity exploit stuff like that, hacking. The next one is college. College is going to be multi-system manipulation, it's going to be uh, utilizing fraud prevention software over here to validate information before you go over there and actually use it. It's gonna be the bigger ones where, uh, this is where I make the distinction between an exploit and manipulation. When you manipulate a system, the system thinks it's doing everything right. So you get through, there's no catching you, there's no problem, there's no red flags. When you exploit a system, like breaking it through, through, through cybersecurity, hacking and stuff like that, there's a footprint of you being there. So if I can manipulate your system to let me through and never raise a flag, I'm gonna be good. So that's college. Then you got the college professor, which is the one who teaches everyone else how to do what they've done and that's, that's going to be like your fraud as a service, like you and Chase Park were talking about. It's going to be that, that element of people in that, that, that hierarchy, uh, that, that rung on the hierarchy. The next one is where I feel like I am, and I would love to be challenged and put my place, but that's where you use everything underneath it. You use everything, all the predecessors, all the, the previous tiers. And you use all that information to your advantage. You utilize checks, cash, uh, credit cards, debit cards, profiles, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, everything. And you know how they all work together and you make them work to to serve your needs. So yes, the school of fraud.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like that. It's almost like the school of rock, but more exciting to me anyway. (laughs) but I may be in the minority. (laughs) So this is going to be the obvious question that I, I, I know you're used to getting. You got it from me. In fact, I actually asked a little harder questions in our first conversation first or second, but you know, it needs to be asked. There's so much more money in committing fraud than preventing it. So how are you sure that you won't switch sides again? How, how do you know, how can we all be sure that you are going to continue to be an asset to the fraud fighting community and not you know, switch sides?
1: Simply put, and even though it's a pretty typical question that a lot of people give and when, when, when asked this type of question in other aspects, Simply put, my daughter's going to be proud of me. There's going to be a point in time where my daughter can analyze and and understand the systems that are in play. She's gonna look at mommy. She's gonna look at daddy. She's gonna know what we do when she's asked what mommy and daddy do. Daddy fights the bad guys. Mommy puts ink on their skin. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: <laughs> mommy puts ink on the bad guy's skin or on. The- <laughs> well, you never know.
1: There's no. There's there's no. There's no rules on that side. So just
0: <laughs> I know depends. your mom, your wife is a, is a great tattoo artist in, in Vegas. So that's, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just like, wait, are you saying mommy <laughs> tattoos them and then they go to jail because dad fights them or the other <laughs> way around? Who knows? Maybe <laughs> you guys can, you know, have a business together. I'm kidding. Anything but, is possible.
1: But yeah, that's it. My daughter's never going to be cared for by a tweaker. My daughter's mm. never going to look in daddy's eyes and not know exactly who he is. My dad or her, her daddy's never going to live in the shadows. Her daddy's going to know exactly what he does. And she's going to be proud of him. And, and honestly, with all the credibility and respect that I got on the street level from, from what I was doing and what I contributed to even so far in my development of dispute defense, real life, shining, not shining lights, but like, you know, on the good side of the fence recognition, every, every ounce of it outweighs the others, you know, dramatically. So there's just, there is no chance of me going back. And plus it's just easier on this side <laughs> it's 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 easier when you know what you know and i get that i understand that but then you run the risk of criminal retaliation outside of what i'm doing you get you run the risk of people taking advantage of you you run the risk of getting ratted out you, there's there's more than enough weight on my shoulders to make sure that i keep pushing forward instead of falling back
0: hmm. and i 100% believe you i you know we've we've known each other for you know over a month at this point because I you know I kind of wanted to sit back and and uh, see how you're you were doing and you know what you're doing because there are some people who are like I'm gonna be a good guy now and then like a couple weeks later they don't get these huge contracts falling from the sky like they thought they would and they go back to it you however post every single day helpful information for people on LinkedIn you are you know you're helping you're working with companies you are helping others you know I really I'm impressed by that. And that's why I wanted to get, you know, give you this platform and, and why I have, you know, more or less endorsed you on LinkedIn. I think, um, especially when it comes to Shopify and WooCommerce, know the smaller merchants as well as bigger ones, because the, the vaping company you worked for was, you know, I think across the three divisions was around 400 million. Correct. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a small company by any means, Mm -hmm. I really know that you can, you know, do a lot to help people and people may be like, but wait, Chris, you're a consultant too. I'm like, yeah, but we do different things for different companies. And uh, I think that there is really good, I'm not threatened because I really think, you know, I'm already referring people to you. Like, it's just, I I think the more the merrier of those of us that really know what we're doing are passionate about it and, and who really strive to give her high ROI I can really tell the difference between the consultants that care about that and that don't. So I wanna, you know, try to lift as many people up as possible. And I'm I, I'm really happy to do it.
1: I thank you so much for that. I thank you so very much. And and it's and what you're saying is true. There's I want to make sure that I that I mention this. The like with all the stuff that happened at NS8 and all the people who were affected by it and all that stuff, seeing the community come together, Mm. all of the shares, all of the social media branching, commenting, shares, sending, just all of the interaction of seeing the community come together was just so awesome. And I hope all those people, you know, find, find good placement in, in positions, but in addition to that, the collaboration of what happens in the fraud industry is unlike anywhere else. You're never going to see Walmart and Target team up. You
0: know? <laughs> it's so true, except for in fraud, because they do exactly. it all the time.
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's just so awesome to be a a part of such a, such a tight knit community throughout the fraud industry. B to have my own unique insight that I can at least help others, whether I'm getting paid to help them or not, is not my concern at this point. I want to help everyone get their understanding going. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that you identify that. And I definitely identified in, in you and your platform. It's just super awesome. Yeah. Just oh, to say well, that.
0: thank you. I, yeah, I, I just think that my network has no value if other people don't learn from, you know, from it. And also it's so important. I think too often, those of us in the fraud fighting community lose that thought of what, fraudsters are thinking about or how creative they are or how many tools they have in their toolbox. And anytime we can help educate people in that, I think is a win. So on that note, what are some lessons that anti-fraud professionals should learn from the other side? What, I mean, Obviously collaboration is the first thing that comes to my mind. I, I I do think we're really good at it, but I think we can always be better. But I'd love to hear your thoughts now that you've, you know, kind of seen both sides of the fence.
1: <laughs> I would say that so given the school of the school of fraud that I outlined, understand that 90% of traditional automated fraud prevention systems, most of them stop at middle school. And then after that in high school you're working with it in order to get, get secure, your, your cybersecurity and, 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 and avoid hacking and stuff like that. The thing that I need, or that I would say for anti, what was the term? Anti-fraud professionals. There we go. To understand is that fraudsters are, they're massaging your system. You put one out there and we treat it as a checklist Okay, so like, like, a, like a bare bones Shopify installation has 10 data points if you stretch it and, and we know what it takes to make it through your system. Well, I know that I can go over to this place and run math cards until I reach a point where I got one with good stuff and go to another one. And it, it's important to understand that the full spectrum of fraud prevention begins at easily detectable and ends at you will not stop it. It doesn't end. It's to infinity and beyond it's, and that's, that's, that's not a, that's not a, Hey, I'm so cool because I used to, no, no, no. Quite literally there is fraud that you will catch. And there is fraud that you will never catch because it's piggybacking multi-system manipulations, building these profiles. It's jumping through the hoops that you set up and the, not you, of course, Karis, but you know, the, this, the, the industry.
0: In some um, cases that might be true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. The moral of the story is to catch what you can, but don't ever underestimate a fraudster. Mm. So much of the information that I operated in was confirmed to me on the other side. And I know that sounds like a, like a, Hey, you know, I'm so cool, but we know what you're doing. We know what you've done. We know where your securities are. We know what the checklist is. We know what you look for and we know how to break it. So don't underestimate fraudsters. That's the first point. The second point is not all fraud is represented in transaction analysis and chargebacks. Keep your eyes open.
0: Mm, Very, very good tips. I think that's super important. So what are your ideal projects? I mean, I know you're working with a few companies, you know, I, I I know that, and I hope this is okay to say, but I know that, you know, your full-time employment was impacted by COVID and that was the catalyst for founding Dispute Defense. So I definitely want to give you this platform to be able to share, you know, who you're working with, who you want to work with, what types of projects, you know, you're working on and, and want to work on in the future.
1: Awesome. So yeah, you're absolutely correct. When March hit my, the dropship division that I was managing over there at the, at the vape company it dissolved. And so here I was on unemployment. So with dispute defense, an ideal project would be for someone who is, you know, getting along in their ways has already developed the operations of their system. They know well what they want to do. They're, 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 they're well on their way through the struggles of development. And now they need to, they haven't yet focused on fraud prevention as a whole. They haven't really developed a strategy moving forward. And it's important to un- understand that, that for me, the process for fraud prevention begins with identifying something, then it's mitigating your losses Then it's preventing your processes. And then it's lather, rinse, repeat, you over again to figure out what changes were made, where these new, new, new sources of fraud are coming in. That being said, an ideal project would be for, for, you know, an established company who's looking to develop theirs for the first time. That'd be fun to do. That's where you're going to see the greatest results. Yeah. Other than that, simple ones, I mean, charge, as you know, chargebacks and fraud, if, if it's running rampant in your, in your system, that's a blueprint for us. You know, we get to walk in and say, "Oh, well, you got you got code 53s, you got 10 uh, 1030s. Okay, let's go. This is all you need to do: adjust your policies, adjust your procedures. Let's go, clean it up. Cool, cool, cool. So we can handle those all day, no matter what the size is. It's great.
0: I would say easy for you and I, and and honestly, in different ways, in different perspectives. I mean, I sure. I do it from a completely different side, like perspective than you do, but I I would imagine that we have very similar success rates because our philosophies are the same we've talked about that before in you know looking at the data analysis and and chargeback reduction as well as you know recovery so you know easy for us for sure i and that's why i think so many more you know it's really important to have a risk assessment from an outside perspective i i really you know not just because i provide them and you provide them but i think they're super important Um, Absolutely. Honestly, I don't think I have time to provide them as often. So I'm always happy to send over your way when I don't. So, you know, I, I think they're super important because it can show where the gaping holes are that just internally you don't see, you know, when you, when you live in your own house, you may not see the same opportunities to enter your house as a burglar would.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and further to that point, whenever I, so I I definitely underplayed it whenever I said easy, it's easy because it's fun. (laughs) It's easy because I enjoy finding, finding out what needs to be done to solve that problem. It's all problem solving based. So I definitely underplayed it and I shouldn't have, but one thing to your point is the importance of, of, of a winning articulate chargeback representment and how to process it in the future and then being prepared for it. All these things are fun. You set them up, you knock them down. When they come in, you're ready. Come on. I agree um, with
0: you 100%. Those are the things that are fun to me too. (laughs) I think that makes us totally crazy and insane, but I still love it.
1: It's fun. And and the thing that's (laughs) great is it's the same thing as being a fraudster Mm -hmm. is the same things you employ to fight fraudsters. So it's fun. It's just, it's reverse engineering.
0: Yeah. And problem solving. Yeah, 100%. And I know you've also worked with a few select vendors in um, helping them improve their processes and, and what they're looking for as well. So I'm, you know, I, I just really think that you have a lot to offer the industry for sure.
1: Thank you so much. I'm trying.
0: I'm trying. Oh, <laughs> a really good job for, you know, someone who just really, you, nobody knew who you were three months ago. Right. And now you have a following. So that's a big deal. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who will tell me, I really want to be a consultant, but I don't know how. And I'm like, just, you know, start providing information, start providing value and, and get a name for yourself. And you're doing that. And, you know, you are working with companies and I know that you are providing results quite a lot. So I'm very excited to watch your journey and your trajectory. And I hope that a lot of people reach out to you, whether it's, you know, to connect or uh, to inquire about working together. How can people find you?
1: So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Dispute Defense Consulting is on LinkedIn, is on Facebook. On Twitter, I'm at hall underscore DDC. Or you can email me directly at alexander at dot com. And uh, shoot, call me directly, 702-665-3941.
0: Look at that. All lines are open. (laughs) Or the call line is open, I guess I should say. (laughs) No, I really appreciate your time, Alexander, and your generosity in providing information to us from a very unique perspective. And I really admire your path and your journey and your why as a parent. You know, my daughter propelled me to continue my career path and journey on all the days I didn't want to do it, on all the days that were hard. And, you know, there could have been a short-term, easier path. Like, she was my why. So I very much understand the power of that for sure. And I know that uh, dad is your favorite title for sure.
1: 100%. It's crazy how that works, whether I want to or not. It needs to get done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I do. I do know that. Yes. (laughs) It's your favorite and your best title. But dad first, then founder of Dispute Defense Consulting. So I'm thank you so much again. I really appreciate it.